0: No, Gavin, I, I, I wasn't aware that the events we're discussing this week took place the month you were born. <laughs> Millennial ass. The following podcast contains... Oh, won't somebody please think of the children? Explicit language. Hello and welcome to the podcast that asks a simple question. When you thought slapping a warning label on the album would make us not want to buy it, what the hell were you thinking? I'm your host, Dave Bledsoe, and this is a Friday, May 1st, 2020 We're Not Going to Take It edition of the show where we avoid contemporary reality by mocking Tipper Gore. Stay tuned. The. What the Hell Were You Thinking? Podcast is brought to you by Columbia House Records. Who would like you to know you owe us an awful lot of money? We, the debt holders of the now defunct brand Columbia House Records, want you, the music pirate of the 80s and 90s, to understand that all is neither forgiven nor forgotten. Sure. You may think our shoddy business practices and laughable record keeping which lets you sign up with a fake name and get eight records for a penny over and over again and then never buy another one was the perfect scam, but we've linked with Facebook and Google and now we're coming for what is ours, motherfuckers. You think the RIAA were dicks about Napster? You haven't seen anything yet. So get ready, fuckers. We want our pound of flesh and we're gonna get it. We're coming hell's coming with us so give us your goddamn credit card right now and no one needs to get hurt columbia house records you know what you did and i'm playing these people like you know i mean i've you know mentally i'm setting these guys up for the kill i have got my speech in my back pocket which i have worked on for a few weeks and honed and refined till it's a freaking nuclear weapon folded up like a gazillion times of like a bad kid bringing his homework to school. You know, when I open it up and I'm flattening it out on the table, really delivered, and they're going, oh man, this, guy, this is a lamb being brought to the slaughter. And I start reading. Since I seem to be the only person addressing this committee today who has been a direct target of accusations from the presumably responsible PMRC, I would like to use this occasion to speak on a more personal note and show just how unfair the whole concept of lyrical interpretation and judgment can be and how many times this can amount to little more than character assassination. And I am just tearing apart everything that they've accused me of, disproving without Beyond a shadow of a doubt, that everything they've accused me of has been wrong, false, and they are scrambling, scrambling, scrambling. Kids, today, I tell you, I won't do Rodney anymore. Well, yeah, you got your smartphones and your porn hubs streaming your filth, florn, filth, florin, filth straight into your brains by earbuds. You have no idea how hard it was to fill our insatiable appetite for hardcore porn back in the 80s. I mean, in the 80s, the best you could hope for is that someone's dad had a -a Cinemax subscription so we could watch Cinemax after dark. Otherwise, you were stuck glued to the screen, hoping for a glimpse of titty in between the scrambles. Boobs! 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 And back in the 80s, you relied on your creepy uncle, your best friend's stepdad, who may or may not have liked to have... Guys, over for a boy's night of movie watching which since it was the 80s you might wind up in a crawl space beneath the house because you know he was fun oh really John Wayne Gacy he was a (laughs) psycho clown so without direct access to porn the child of the 80s was forced to seek our titillation from other sources disguised from judgmental eyes of our parents and away from Kevin's new dad and his white panel van probably a serial killer for some of us that meant perusing the plus-size lingerie section of the J.C. Penney catalog. He's talking about himself. For others, it was the racier entries of the deities and demigods, because Bibdle Poop might be a crustacean head and claws, but those titties were banging. Yes, yes, he is. But for most of us, it was just references in the music we listened to. Rock and roll wasn't just about our sweet Lord Satan. He was also all about sex and drugs and well, you know. Rock and roll. And we would have gotten away with it, too, if it wasn't for that meddling Tipper Gore and her white Washington wives. Who were they? Well, they were the Karens of the 1980s. Karen? Yeah, Karen. Because they formed the PMRC, the Parents Music Resource Center. And they changed rock and roll forever. Just not in the way they thought they would. Now, for as long as human beings have been making music, there have been basically two kinds of songs. Way back in the dawn of prehistory, Oga, the song maker of the clan, would write the tale of the great yak hunt for the entire tribe, extolling the feats of the mighty hunters and the glory of the kill. But he also wrote the songs for Oga and his buddies only that told the story of how Gronk and Colt shit themselves when the yak charged them. Oh, okay. I just shit myself. Okay. Oga knew he couldn't play that song at the nightly fire because Gronk and Kralt would beat the shit out of Oga if he did. Thousands of years later, these songs would evolve into what we knew as the single and the album track. And of course, in these streaming times, there is literally no distinction between the two for better and or worse. Singles are exactly what you think they are, songs meant to be played on the radio, and album tracks were and are for the artist and the fans, almost an inside joke or a private identification. Every so often, an album track would break out and get radio play and become a hit. Songs like The Eagles' Last Resort or Fleetwood Mac's Gold Dust Woman or Prince's Erotic City that were never intended to be singles. Erotic City was the B side of Let's Go Crazy. And the thing about album cuts is you were free to express yourself in a way that you never could in a single. I'm alive can't you see and every time I comb my hair And so when they slip out, sometimes they got heard by people that maybe were never intended to hear the song. Well no, that's a bit of a problem. So it was in the 1980s. The nation was embroiled in an entirely nonsensical moral panic spurred on by bad reporting and panicky, panicky fundamentalists who saw demons ever under every bush. And all of a sudden, every parent in America is very concerned with the content of their child's media diet. This resulted in parents interrupting your very important TV time, holding a copy of the Scorpion's Love Drive album and asking, David, would you explain this to me, please? And it turns out there's no good explanation for an album cover featuring a man pulling a long stream of gum from a woman's naked breast in the back of the limo, and you're going to need your buddy to make a cassette copy of the album because your dad breaks it and burns the cover on a Weber grill. Maybe it was because there was so much filth and filth out there that many parents didn't have the time to go through their children's album collection to call the more obvious evil... Indeed, many parents at the time were so busy either working three jobs to get by or doing blow with their stockbroker buddies, they barely had time to remember their children's names. And it became apparent to the wives of some very important people that Something has to be done! And they were just the ones to do it, being the wives of very important people. From Newsweek's 2015 Parental Advisory Forever, an oral history of the PMRC's War on Dirty Lyrics, quote, The Parents Music Resource Center, PMRC, formed in 1984 around the collective outrage of four women known for their ties to Washington political life. Founding members Susan Baker, wife of then-Treasury Secretary James Baker, Tipper Gore, wife of Senator and future Vice President Al Gore, Pam Howar, the wife of realtor Raymond Howar, and Sally Nevius, wife of Washington City Council Chairman John Nevius, had become disturbed by Prince. Madonna, and other music their kids were listening to. And they decided what needed to be done was, quote, The PMRC set to work compiling contacts from their respective Christmas cards list and issuing press releases. The group sent a letter to the recording industry artist of America, the RIAA, and more than 50 record labels. According to A History of Evil in Popular Culture, the letter proposed that record companies either cease the production of music with violent and sexually charged lyrics or develop a motion picture-style rating system for albums. Violent lyrics we marked with a V. Satanic or anti-Christian occult content with an O. And lyrics referring drugs or alcohol with a D.A. Let's, uh, let's talk for a moment about this, shall we? A group of unelected people, using their spouse's power and influence, decide on their own... Not through a grassroots public mandate to reach out to the executives of corporations to demand said corporations either stop producing content they personally, the wives, found offensive, or failing that, identify and classify said content according to what can only be described as an arbitrary standard based on what they, the unelected spouses, found personally distasteful. The The initial reaction by the recording industry was, shall we say, predictable? You got some set of balls, you know that? Absolutely not. So the PMRC sat down and they compiled a list. I I have to imagine this moment in history. Four very white, very rich women sitting down at a table with a stack of record albums procured by some young aide based on their little brother's album collection. They would look at each cover in turn, judging it based solely on the album art, which was the thing we had back then. The metal albums were easy. They would look at it and say... Is Satan inside you say yes then read some lyrics from the album sleeve which is a thing we had back then and pick the song for their list but somewhere along the line for the smutty songs they must have had a teenager come along and help them out you're not going to look at the cover of purple rain and know that darling Nick Nicky is about a girl getting herself off or that Sheena Easton sugar walls isn't about a gingerbread house you have to do the research Listening to these bumping songs and feeling a tingle down there while Prince croons or Sheena moans. The list released by the PMRC was called The Filthy Fifteen, which sounds to me like a song about a very precocious young woman exploring the boundaries of her sexuality, but then I was corrupted by evil music in the 1980s without warning labels. Taken from Discover Music's The Filthy 15, Censorship Gore, and the Parental Advisory sticker, the 15 were in order, and why they were chosen, "Darlin' Nikki by Prince, because quote, it was the reference to the girl masturbating that particularly enraged Tipper Gore. Sheena Easton's Sugar Walls, because quote, it was pretty obvious what she was getting at with references to blood racing to private spots and spending the night inside my sugar walls, unquote. Judas Priest, Eat Me Alive, quote, Gore said the song advocated oral sex at gunpoint, unquote. Vanity Strap by Robbie Baby, the, quote, the sexual provocative lyrics, if you want to glide down my hallway, it's open, strap yourself in and ride, unquote. Motley Crue's Bastard, quote, aroused controversy because the violent lyrics about stabbing someone to death, unquote. ACDC, Let Me Put My Love Into You, according to the PMRC, was, quote, the lyrics, Let me Me Cut Your Cake With My Knife, were profane, unquote. Twisted Sisters, We're Not Gonna Take It was, quote, based on allegations that it promoted violence, unquote. Madonna's Dress You Up in My Love for the lyrics, quote, gonna dress you up in my love all over your body. Really? That's it? Really? That was it. There was nothing else. Wasp Fuck Like a Beast? I don't even need to tell you why that one was on there. Deaf Leopards High and Dry for the lyrics, quote, I got my whiskey, I got my wine, I got my women, and all this time the lights are going out, unquote. Merciful Fates into the Coven said, quote, The PMRC claimed the song fostered an unhealthy interest in the occult with its plea to come into my coven and become Lucifer's child, unquote. Black Sabbath's Trashed said, quote, Lyrics about drinking after bottle after bottle of tequila would make any sensible person worried, unquote. Mary Jane Girls in my house was, quote, These so-called explicit lyrics were lines such as I'll satisfy your every need and every fantasy you think up, unquote. Venom's possessed was the lyrics quote I drink the vomit of priest and make love with the dying whore unquote and finally Cindy Loppers she bop quote offended the PMRC with her innuendo full lyrics such as I want to go south and get me some more Then I say I better stop or I'll go blind and the lewd video that accompanied the song unquote and I'm not even going to try to defend some of these songs after all I drink the vomit of the priest and make love with a dying whore is, a uh, Well, that's an evil that speaks for itself! And it's not an evil that's all woo-woo, hail Satan. It's an evil that's just bad songwriting. If they had wanted to slap a label on any of the metal songs on this list that led warning, contains content written while very high and or drunk, and only included on the album because we needed to fill the space... I would support that wholeheartedly, and I owned all the albums these songs came from. And yes, Darling Nikki was about female fapping, Sugar Walls was about pussy, and any and all songs mentioning liquor and drugs were about liquor and drugs. All of us kids knew that. It was part of the reasons we were listening to the songs in the first place. But we're not going to take it had nothing to do with the song. They were mad about the video. If you've never seen the video, take the time and go watch it. You'll see immediately why it it puckered Tipper's whiteys. And while absolutely entertaining and thoroughly cartoonish, All it is is youth rebellion, attempted to being quashed by an overbearing oath of a father. And clearly we can't have the youth being told it's okay to resist their corporate indoctrination and fail to conform to socially accepted standards of the day because, God forbid, you have a twisted sister pin on your uniform or mow the twisted sister logo into the long grass of the backyard. That boy ain't right. Since the record companies wouldn't voluntarily submit to the whims of a group of rich white women... Their influential husbands were pressured into holding hearings in this actual Senate of the United States on filthy lyrics on record albums. Because I guess there was nothing else important going on in September of 1985. Actually, I went back and checked. There wasn't. Going back to the Newsweek article, quote, on September 19th, 1985, the PMRC's efforts culminated in a much publicized Senate hearing to consider the group's proposal. There, Tipper Gore advocated for warning labels on music products inappropriate for younger children due to explicit sexual or violent lyrics. Alongside the members of the PMRC, the Senate Committee on Commerce, Science, and Transportation heard testimony from three popular musicians, Frank Zappa, Dee Snider, and John Denver. All three argued voraciously against what they characterized as censorship. In perhaps the most enduring testimony from the hearing, Sappa describes the PMRC's proposals as an ill-conceived piece of nonsense which fails to deliver any real benefits to children, infringes the civil liberties of people who are not children, and promises to keep the book courts busy for years, unquote. And then Frank got mad. In this context, the PMRC demands are the equivalent of treating dandruff by decapitation, no one has forced Mrs. Baker or Mrs. Gore to bring Prince or Sheena Easton into their homes. Thanks to the Constitution, they are free to buy other forms of music for their children. Apparently, they insist on purchasing the works of contemporary recording artists in order to support a personal illusion of aerobic sophistication. Ladies, please be advised. The 898 dollars purchase price does not entitle you to a kiss on the foot from the composer or performer in exchange for a spin on the family Victrola. Frank, along with D. Snyder and John Denver, who took the stand to say, I I could be a Muppet. But also that he was very angry about the idea of censoring music. He compared the whole idea to Nazis, which was a thing we could do back then because Nazis were still universally considered bad. Denver, who by that time was considered wholesome and family-oriented, which is strange because John sang a lot about drugs back in the 70s and he wasn't talking about fucking being above sea level in Rocky Mountain High. And it was a surprise to a lot of senators when he did so. And it paused a little bit of their hard-charging bullshit. All of the tension convinced the record labels to compromise and they made one. No one wanted the rich white women of Washington to be the arbiter of what was decent or indecent. Otherwise, all we would have was record stores full of fucking Pat Boone albums. Then I got this Pat Boone album. This guy's Christian. Boone, who would ironically go on to release an album of heavy metal covers in 1997 that I am pretty sure had a PMRC sticker on it. Too long in the midnight sea, oh, what's become of me? From an article on KQED titled, The Tipper Sticker at 30, The Most Entertaining and Least Effective Attempt at Censorship in Rock History, quote, Over a period of two months, during which a pastor read lyrics about golden showers allowed in Congress, among other memorable testimonies, they and other free speech a- advocates argue the PMRC down to the program that's been in place ever since. The little old sticker in the bottom right-hand corner of a cassette tape or CD denoting explicit content. Which really just means profanity. Which really just means the five or six words. Individual labels and artists could choose which records got the stickers. Retailers could choose whether or not they wanted to sell the explicit versions or the clean ones or both. And henceforth protected pop music, protected from pop music, no teenager ever wanted to have sex or smoke weed again. <laughs> that was a little joke. And the tipper sticker, as it came to be called, was born. Again, from KQED, quote, So what kind of impact did the PAL actually have? I would say the program was mainly a failure based on what they were trying to achieve, says Mark Weinstein, the co-founder of Amoeba Music, whose first store opened in Berkeley in 1990. More often than not, from what I saw, it actually became a sales tool. It made it easier for teenagers to identify the cool stuff, unquote. And I ain't going to lie... I definitely bought albums that I might not have because of the tipper sticker on it it was a quick easy way to identify the kind of music my parents wouldn't approve of my having and by the time I was in my 20s it didn't matter what my parents thought but it did matter because I didn't want a shitty fucking Walmart mix of an album and that's how the censorship really worked because people could put pressure on the big box retailers where vast numbers of kids not in big cities got their music because there were a few dedicated record stores and Walmart for one and there were several others wouldn't carry tipper stickers albums and that hurt the sales of a lot of musicians for a lot of years. And because no good deed goes unpunished, Tipper bore a lot of mockery and derision over the issue. Since her husband Al, you might remember him, was so prominent in the national dialogue in the 90s, she caught a lot of shit. Things like call-outs on albums, like Danzig's 1988 song Mother citing quote mother tell your children not to walk my way tell your children not to hear my words what they mean when they say mother this is still one of the early so- one of the only songs about tipper gore and the pmrc to reach a wider con- a wider audience but it was pretty tame ice t's 1989 freedom of speech was not quote yo tip what's the matter you ain't getting no dick You bitching about rock and roll? That censorship done bitch. The Constitution say we all got a right to speak and say what we want. Tip, your argument is weak, unquote. But my favorite Tipper call out of all was, of course, George Carlin's 1990 album, simply titled Parental Advisory Explicit Lyrics. And the cover was the Tipper sticker. In the liner notes, which is, again, things we had at the time, George said... This record contains no backmasking or subliminal suggestion. All the messages from the devil are recorded clearly and audibly in straightforward American standard American English. Please try not to commit suicide after listening to this album, unquote. In the end, the entire nonsense died out with the end of the satanic panic, but the stickers still remain in the unlikely event you purchase a physical copy of a record album or a CD. The internet, of course, killed the entire idea of keeping kids away from explicit content, even though every streaming piece of media that has a naughty word or thought in it has the explicit E on the track somewhere, and some audio productions even go so far as to make a big deal out of warning the listeners that they might hear a bad word in the content they're about to hear. Some audio products make a mockery of it right there the, before the show even starts. It's a tired and hackneyed trope and no decently run show would engage in that kind of tomfoolery. If you find one of those, you should stop listening immediately for the sake of the children. Today, of course, we live in a world with warning stickers on everything. Our movies, television, music, video games, soft drinks, cleaning products, paper bags, liquor, cigarettes, and pretty much anything you can think of. If you pay money for it, there's some kind of warning or disclaimer letting you know if you do something stupid with a the product that it's on you because we told you not to put the shopping bag on baby's head to keep the rain off, so don't even think about suing. And they aren't there to stop you from doing anything. Because name one fucking time a warning label kept you from doing something you Wanted to do. There are people who huff fucking paint to get high in a world with weed in it, even though it says right there on the can that it will kill brain cells if you huff it faster than anything shorter than a fucking Trump tweet. People still huff away. Warning labels aren't about modifying behavior, they're about abdicating authority and responsibility. And that brings us to warning labels on record albums, because God forbid a parent of the 80s, or now for that matter, Talk to their fucking kid for a minute or two about the things they as parents find concerning. Tipper didn't want to keep her kids and everyone else's kids away from sex and violence and the occult because she was afraid these things were corrupting them. No, she wanted to keep them away from there so that she as a parent didn't need to talk to her kids about the things she found uncomfortable easier to slap a sticker on something and then forbid the child to have anything to do with the object and never worry about it again because forbidding a child to do something always works i mean my parents forbade me from drinking and boy that worked out great music in general and rock and roll specifically is about youth rebellion and finding out who and what you are we didn't listen to Venom because it was aesthetically pleasing or lyrically cogent. We listened because it was loud and angry and full of things our parents wouldn't like. But no one was going to drink the piss of a, of a priest while having sex with a dying whore because they listened to the song, not even Venom, and they wrote it. Venom was playing a role to sell fucking records, not convert your child to Satan. And if Prince wrote about fucking, well, it's because Prince was fucking a lot. And people and Prince knew that people liked to hear about Prince fucking. I mean I listen to Prince a lot, but I never once fucked because of Prince. I once fucked because of a George Strait album, which is a really really bad idea not because of George but rather it was I was fucking my buddy's girlfriend. No sticker on George's album would have stopped me from buying it, even if it did read, Warning, listening to this album on a rainy night during disaster while drinking way too much may result in you having sex with your friend's significant other, though honestly, if it had, I would have bought the album because of that sticker alone. What I mean is, music is a reflection of wants and desires you already have, and that's why you chose that music. It doesn't cause them, I didn't fuck my friend's girlfriend because I put George Strait on. I put George Strait on because I wanted to fuck my friend's girlfriend, and I thought that might work. So maybe instead of slapping a label on something your kid does because it scares you, you should take the chance to to talk to your kid about why they listen to the music they do and not be a judgmental asshat like Tipper when you do it. You might learn something about your kid, and hey, you might even like the music and wind up getting on with your lover later on. Trust me, all you really need is a good steady rain, a couple of bottles of wine, and a click play on this. Well, excuse me, but I think you got my chance. No, that one's not taken, I don't mind. If you sit here, I'll be glad. And them panties are coming off. Trust me, you'll be glad you did. Your friend, on the other hand, will be very, very upset when he finds out about it a couple of weeks later and try to beat you up in the sports connection. That is it for our show this week. Thank you for joining us in this COVID free cast. I am working to keep cranking out stuff that isn't about the heavy shit going on in the world and nothing is less important than a sticker on an album that was put there in 1995, but it was fun to talk about. Speaking of being utterly unimportant, rate and review this show wherever you find your pods and it helps others to discover how utterly unimportant this show really is. Follow the show on Twitter, the hell underscore podcast for the show and the show name on Facebook for other irrelevant information about a world that is long gone and wasn't terribly important when that world existed. So for me, Dave, blood racing to all your private sto- spots, blood so... Producer Dress You Up in His Love Gavin and all the fictional she-bops on the show, we want to say, we're just not going to take it anymore. We can't. We just have so much to do and the kids are driving us crazy and we don't have the bandwidth really so can you get back with us later and stop just bothering us for a few minutes? Thank you. We'll see you all next week. I have no ending for this, so I take a small bow. (laughs) Seltzer Kings. Podcasts.